inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. It is time for In the Garden with Peter Burke. Our program is brought to you by Menard's family-owned True Value Store on Brooklyn Street in Morrisville, by V's Flower and Garden Shop, Main Street, Waitsfield, by Clausen's Florist, Greenhouse, and Perennial Farm, locally grown just for you right there on Main Street in Colchester, by your locally-owned Montpelier Agway Farm and Garden on East Montpelier Road, by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber in Middlesex, St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, and Derby, sticksandstuff.com. By Guy's Farm and Yard Stores, four stores to serve you in Morrisville, Montpelier, Williston, and St. Albans. By PNR Lumber, a family-owned lumber mill with lumber, mulch, and compost, everything you need right there on Route 15 in Wolcott. And by the Willie's Store in Greensboro, celebrating over 120 years of family ownership. And by Dandelion Acres Garden Center, Vermont Route 107 in Bethel. And by Polly Construction, a contractor you can trust where one call does it all. Polly Construction on Gregory Drive in South Burlington. Telephones are open right now for your gardening questions to Peter or for your comments on how your garden is growing. The local 802 number, 244-1777, or toll-free from most anywhere, 877-291-8255. And right now, here is the host of In the Garden, author of Year-Round Indoor Salad Garden, published by Chelsea Green. How's that for a promo, Peter? Peter Burke. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Joel. That's very kind we of you. We have to remind people every now and then. <laughs> well, the day is coming up when I will uh, go through that just to send everybody off into the gardening winter world. And But right now I want to talk about, well, a list of, say, 12 things to get ready for fall. But before I start that, we have about six weeks left, uh, maybe 42 days, uh, uh, you know, frost-free days. And so as the season wind down, we approach the harvest season. Well, actually, it's not the harvest season, actually, because for gardeners, harvesting season and planting season really start in April, go right through to November. Unlike a, a farm where you, you know, you plant a crop in the, in the spring and you harvest it in the fall, we are planting and harvesting all year round, just to, uh, well, I mean, all season long from about April to about November. So let me restart by giving a list of end of the summer and fall checklist. And, uh, Number one on the list, and I think I've mentioned it before. Do you have a call? You want to take that call? By golly, yes, indeed. It's, well, okay. We have a question about potatoes. Oh, great. And it's Bob in Northfield who's on the line. Let's see. Push this button, Joel, and uh, he definitely is on the line. <laughs> hey, Bob in Northfield. How are you today? Excellent, sir. What's going on? 
Well, so um, years back, I was told to save your leaves. I got a lot of maple leaves, and that's what I've been using for Mm -hmm. my potato patch. Yep, yep. And when they pop up through the earth, put some more light leaves around them. I ran out of leaves, so my question is, I got a farmer that has some mulch hay. And just put mulch hay around them and let the little tops keep growing, and it's I know, easier way to. I know that that sounds uh, like a good idea, but my experience with mulch hay is that it's even if it's slightly decomposed, it's, it is absolutely loaded with weeds and grass seeds. So if you put mulch hay on there, you're, you're bound to get a lot. I would prefer that you use something like a straw. If you can get a bale of straw at, at one of our sponsors here, I know Agway and, and uh, guys both have them, and, and some of the other uh, sponsors have a bale. It costs you about, I don't know, 12 14 bucks somewhere in that range, but it'll go a long way. So I would recommend using straw, number one. Number two, um, if if you have access to shredded uh, newspaper, that's another good one for a mulch. And uh, number three, you could just use plain old everyday peat moss if you if you happen to have that. So the the um, uh, the mulch hay uh, I would s- stay away from, but. If you're really careful with it and you pull it up after you harvest your potatoes and put it in the compost bin, then you'd be okay. But you'll see right away that it'll start sprouting uh, uh, grass and probably other uh, other other weeds right away. Everything from dandelions to uh, you know Japanese knot uh, uh, knot weed there and. Uh, just everything you can imagine. Uh, so I, that's the only thing that I would hesitate. Uh, but if you're really careful and you pull it up when you do your potatoes and don't leave it in your garden bed, then uh, then you probably could use it in that case. Well, one thing is, so what it is is it's actually um, it's hay for horses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the um, Twines being thrown into mm-hmm. the wagon, getting there, mm-hmm. thrown into the barn, sure, and stacked and all that. It's the one. It's bales that um are falling apart that he's not going to sell, oh. you know, to his consumers' customers. Yeah, yep. So it's just it's 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 loose hay. It's not yeah. you know yeah. mulch hay that you'd use in um like irrigation and you know stopping erosion and stuff like that. Sure. It's not. Yeah. It's not crap hay. Well, Bob, I would just, I would, uh, I still say that it's the same issue is with, with that one caveat that you pull it off of your beds afterwards. Otherwise it will, it will plant seeds and, and, uh, uh grass seeds and uh, all so kinds be, of weed seeds. So just. It'll be hard next year to, to, uh, replant in the area. Well, it's not so much. You're just going to make your weeding chore a lot worse. That's all. And so uh, that's why I say, go ahead and use it if you if you really want to, but pull pull it off when you uh, and put it in your compost bin rather than leave it in your garden bed uh, when you're pulling your potatoes. And that that make it pretty easy to get you know to pull it off and haul it over to the you compost. Know, they're growing bin. underground, so whatever the weeds are on top, I don't think they're going down to where the potatoes are. They're not going to affect the potatoes at all. You're right about that. It's the next year that I'm that concerns me, and I, I've done this, I've, and so that's just my experience with it. Is that 
um, hay, whether it's mulch hay or, or fresh hay, either one will just plant, be like planting. You wouldn't take dandelions and, and you know, scatter them in your, in your garden bed, but that's essentially what you're doing with, uh, with hay. But use it with that caveat and, and enjoy it. Now, um, let me ask you a question about your, um, you used, uh, you said you used uh, leaves, right? Was that right? Yeah, they're mostly oh. maple right. leaves. You know, I yeah. dig down to the plain earth, yep. uh, kind of uh, rototill that up, yeah. and then put my potatoes in. Yep. And then with what little earth I've got tilled up, yeah. I start with that for mounding. And then all this big mound of maple leaves. <laughs> You know that is rotted over the winter. That's great. Pulling that around them. Ed, uh, Ed was a big fan of, of uh, leaves for potatoes, so I, I couldn't help but agree with that a hundred percent. So my the reason I asked is you may not actually need to hill your potatoes anymore unless you're starting to see potatoes uh, poke out uh, above the mulch that you have on there. Because the only reason you need that mulch is to protect the potatoes from the sun so they don't uh, turn green on you. So do you have anything sticking out of the ground, coming out of the ground? Yeah, the potatoes are now, let's say they've grown a foot or a little more high. They're falling over and they're showing, you know, the vine instead of... Yep. Just the tops. Yep. So that's my point is that if, if you don't see potatoes actually poking their heads out of the soil underneath that potato plant, then you probably don't need to add anymore at this point. Usually, uh, two hillings of your potatoes is adequate for most years. Um, you know, unless you get a really hard rain and it washes that stuff away from the potato plant. But so go out and take another look and see if those potatoes are actually poking their heads up and starting to turn green. And, and in that case, yeah, you probably will need to, a little bit more. But actually at this time of year, you should start thinking about, uh, um, it's almost time to, to harvest them, really. It's getting close. I wait till close to frost and then start harvesting them. Sure. I'd yep. rather have the big instead of little fingerlings. <laughs> I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you. My Canabacs last year were, you know, they were two handfuls. They were just, they were absolutely beautiful. And uh, so they, mine could be mine can be any brand because it's whatever starts getting eyes that have been left in the bags from different <laughs> markets, then dice them up and. Plant them in the ground. <laughs> you're a, you're a thrifty fellow, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I don't go to the shops and get them. Um, I like so, that. And then, and then uh, a couple of years back, I did whites and reds. Mm-hmm. I found out I had to dig deep for the white ones, yeah. and the red ones just pulled in line, and they're popping right out in your hand. Right out of the top. And that's true for fingerlings is that fingerlings go real deep. They go deeper even than your white potatoes if you're growing any fingerlings. but. Well, so, sir, if they're popping up, should I try this or just lay, let them grow and wait till harvest? Well, if, you're gonna, if you're going to let them grow that much longer, absolutely go ahead and use that stuff. And But uh, just make sure you pull it off your beds when, when you're doing your potatoes, and then you will be uh, should be safe 
from yeah, and then I can this. use it for after the plowman plows me up all winter to remulch <laughs> the lawn where the plow has torn it all up. So <laughs> I absolutely, got, I got multi-purposes use for perfect, them. perfect. <laughs> okay, sir. Well, you have a great day. I thank you for your information. Okay, Bob. Thanks for the call. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so where was I, Joel? I was just talking about. Um, Oh, oh, buying your garlic for the fall. Okay, you want to make sure you get that order in now because uh, uh, most places will run out by the end of August. So you want to make sure you want to, you want to, if you, you know, have a specific variety that you like. Um, some of the farmers markets, they have seed uh, garlic and a lot of it's really good. Um, but when you're buying it, you're you're guaranteed that it's uh, virus uh, free and and that it's been uh, grown in the in the right conditions. So that's that's the re- main reason you'd want to buy your garlic from a, a reputable dealer. The other thing you can do as as you're pulling your garlic out and your onions out, you could go ahead and plant buckwheat in a, in your open beds, at least until you decide what else you want to plant there. Because uh, you can get um, you can get uh, a good forty days of buckwheat growing before you start planting that spinach for next spring, and that uh, you know helps to uh, add humus to the soil and and um, organic matter. And the other thing is uh, you want to uh, for your fall checklist you want to make sure you remove all of the uh, all of the plants and whatever, um, you know, sticks and leaves and whatever else that from your, from your garden bed so that they're, everything's removed. And with your cabbage family, the roots, you want to make sure you pull those up and, um, and either throw them over the bank or, or send them to the, um, send them to the dump because uh, you want to prevent the root maggot. And that's one of the uh, major places that they they tend to um, uh, they tend to grow is on those the roots of the old plants. So you want to pull those up and everything else that goes in there. This is a good time to do a pH test. And uh, you know, uh, Joel, you know what pH stands for. Percentage of hydrogen, right? You got uh, well. It's actually power of hydrogen. Oh, okay, right. It's sort of oh. like uh, two to the second power, gotcha. yep. that kind of thing. But it, so it's a, but it's still the same thing. It's mm-hmm. the percentage of mm-hmm. of hydrogen in your soil. So it's real easy to do a pH test. You can get the the little uh, battery operated meters with the two prongs and just stick them in, and that's the easiest way. You can also get the strips and and uh, and uh, take a little bit of soil and uh, and do a soil test that way but it's good to know now uh, what your pH is because this is the time uh, you want to put in the lime or the dolomite lime so that it has time to break down before you start next uh, next season and um, so that was that was number four on the list right yep number four on the list number five was of course, and we just talked about this, uh, is to, to mulch with, uh, a straw or, or, you know, tree leaves, the, the fall leaves. Either way, it's, um, it's a, uh, that's perfect to go ahead and start mulching all your beds. And 
that uh, not only looks nice in your garden when you look out over the fall and you feel like I've put my garden to bed and it's all ready. It's also uh, helps to protect the beds and whatever else you've planted in them. Uh, if you're having a problem with a particular infestation like the, the anthrax on your tomatoes or the onion threps or any of the, the different uh, bacterial viruses, um, you, you can consider uh, doing the um, solarizing your beds. So taking a sheet of plastic. I have some four-foot by four-foot uh, sheets of plastic that I just – Put on. It can be either clear or black. And if you put that on and and leave it there over the winter, it will uh, help to kill any of the bacteria that are in there. The worms, of course, they'll just head south down into cooler, uh, cooler places, and well, they'll be just fine. But this is a good way to to help uh, uh, break the cycle of infestations that you might have. Of course, number six, you want to go ahead and repair your boxes if there's any that need to be replaced or uh, you've got one end that's rotten and you want to go ahead and replace that one. This is this is a great fall uh, chore to do. Um, I find that I get just about six, seven, eight years out of all my boxes. Uh, uh, I had one 12 by 12, uh, not 12 by 12, uh, four by uh, eight where I use 12 by 12s, and those seem to rot a little quicker than the other ones, so I had to replace an end on one of those. And sort of uh, the it, in concert with the repairing your boxes, you want to go ahead and uh, weed, if you need to, your your paths and add a little bit more bulk, um, you know, bark or mulch on on the paths. This is a, a good time to get ready for the that. If you know, look over your paths and see if they've decomposed. The bark has decomposed or gotten a little thin. Uh, you need to get a couple of bags of bark mulch or uh, get a, a truckload of bark mulch. This is the time to get ready to do that. One of the things to consider, number eight, was is to weed the area around your garden, okay? So I've noticed there's a lot of places where there's thistle growing pretty thickly, and you'll see that over the last few weeks they've started to to um, produce their seeds and their little, you know, flower, fluffy stuff. And and uh, you must have a little bit of that stuff around your place. Yeah, <laughs> more than my share. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't mind the milkweed at all. That's that seems to be good. But the thistle, whoa, we. Oh, I have it all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I come into the house and it's stuck on me. And then it's, <laughs> and then even my cat's an indoor cat, and she gets covered with it just because of running around, you know, and running all over me. That stuff is that. I can see why that spreads because. It'll stick to any critter of any species, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the burdock with their brown burrs, you know, and uh, uh, my my uh, dog seems to have a magnetic appeal to (laughs) those. We'll find them in her ears sometimes, or (laughs) and so if you see those, good thing to go ahead and get out there and cut them down, put them over the bank, or uh, ship them out one way or the other. But it's. uh, 
this is a good time to do that, to try to prevent that, uh, the blast of weeds that will come into your garden over the, over the course of the fall and the blowing winds and the drying, it all dries out and fluffs out. Yeah, I've noticed that it's a good opportunity <laughs> to do what great grandpa did and that's get out the sigh. Mm-hmm. You know, and yep. I, yeah. Yep. And I do have my grandfather's sigh, which mm-hmm. he got from somebody who was elderly when he was young, so, you know. Well, my mom's favorite was the sickle. Sickle, yes. Yeah, and that's just a little hand tool that right. she used to go around and do the grass and all the other things with <laughs> no string trimmer for my mom. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, the question came up uh, this week is uh, at, uh, at the house we're renting right now, there's oh, six, maybe eight uh, pear trees. And uh, so when are they ready? You know, when are your pears ready? You don't – you have to be careful with, with pears because you want to make sure you, you pick them while they're still hard so that they store well. And uh, so the, you know, a couple of tests that you can make, one, of course, just to eat one and see if it has a sweetness to it. And that usually means that it started to turn, you know, all the, the starches are turned into sugars. And But the the best test is to go ahead and take your uh, pen knife and cut down through the middle of the fruit. And this is true for pears as well as apples. And if the seeds are black, that means that they that they are ready to pick. And again, you want to pick them when they're uh, a little bit hard. Um, of course, my my yellow, um, my yellows, the transparents, those we've been picking, and they're uh, they're already past time to to pick. But uh, and they've started. They are actually a little bit soft, even on the. You can feel them a little bit soft on the tree too. But if you're, if you've got some pears or apples and you're not sure, the thing to do is to check the seeds inside. And, uh, this is sort of like the way I said a check for your garlic. Go ahead and pull one, you know. <laughs> so you're gonna have to, the sacrifice one at least. <laughs> but, um, uh, that will, that gives you a, a certain, you know, a certainty about go ahead and picking them. And I've noticed that, uh, on the pears, the ones with the red blush are, are ready. And then the other ones are just still pretty hard. And, uh, I'm going to do the seed test this afternoon and see if they're actually ready or and if they need a little bit more time. And my wife called the gleaning people. Apparently there's an organization that will come and pick the uh, fruits if you don't think you're going to be able to use it all, which is if you have a tree and, and you know, maybe you were using it a lot or and you kind of retired from take, doing that, uh, consider calling these gleaning people and and because they put good use to them, you know, they use them in the food shelves and they make stuff with them for people who need the need the food. So that's a good way to to actually put them to good use. And um, speaking of the trees, uh, both the um, uh, both your trees and your berry bushes, it's a good time to go in and prune any dead wood there. Um, and this is just dead wood. I'm not talking about pruning them for fruit. You want to do that in the spring. But the uh, berries, like your raspberries, you cut out the last year's, this, the ones that are this year, um, you cut out those, those uh, canes. And uh, if there's any diseases in them, you want to burn those. 
Matter of fact, we generally burn ours anyway because you don't really don't want to put those in the compost bin at all. <laughs> the, the, the one thing that doesn't doesn't break down is those thorns. <laughs> so um, I recommend that. Now, is it about time for a break, I would buddy? say so, yep. All and right. a number of fine sponsors make this program possible each week. Dandelion Acres is a beautiful garden center in central Vermont where you can find gorgeous flowering hanging baskets, annuals, perennials, trees, and shrubs. They also have an extensive selection of vegetables, fruit trees, and berry bushes and can also offer helpful advice to make your growing season a success. There's pottery, garden furniture, statuary, and decor from the whimsical to the sublime. Dandelion Acres Garden Center is in Bethel, Vermont. Go to dandelionacres.com for current operating hours and COVID caveats. Lines are open at 802-244-1777 and toll-free 877-291-8255. And once again, here's Peter. Okay, Joe. Well, we can continue our journey through the the things to do to get ready for the fall. And um, But I have to say, uh, Lucy at work has, has had a banner year in tomatoes, and I kind of wonder if everybody else has. She's bringing in literally a gallon bag of cherry tomatoes almost every day, plus a few of her, the yellows, and, uh, she has uh, all these different cherry tomatoes, the, 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 the dark ones, you know, the Cherokees, and then of course the, uh, sun golds, which are the gold, and some yellows, of course red ones. And uh, she's having a, a banner year. And she said, uh, she brought in uh, Friday, she said, oh, Pete, take a look at these uh, these garlics. And uh, what do you think? Are they, uh, and I swear to, to goodness, the, the, they were like the size of your hand. They were huge, mm. huge, beautiful, beautiful garlics, you know. <laughs> we should just saute them up and have ourselves a, <laughs> have a party here. You okay. got it. We, we have a caller on the line, so I'll say first name in town, please. No, I have a question for you. Um, when is Roger Hill going to be on? He, Jack Gunnivan had said he was going to be on at 12.15, but that was the bird boy. Yeah, and, I know. We, we we tried to contact him, and we do expect he'll come in. And if he comes in in the middle of this program, we will put him right on. We need an update on Henri, and okay, he will provide great. us. Yep. Thanks. Thank yeah, you. We're, okay, we're, great. We're yeah, we all... might, yeah, we might have Mother Nature do all the harvesting for us. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. that sort of brings up a good point is what do you do, you know, when, when you're expecting that kind of a heavy yeah. rain and stuff? Uh, um, I watched my garden, uh, through the, that was a day, day or two of Irene, what, 10 years ago now. And uh, I had um, some cherry tomatoes that were over over six foot. Uh, actually, they went right to the top of my uh, uh, eight foot trellis, and I was a little worried that they'd just get be ripped down. And and uh, I didn't get a chance to get out and add a few more ties to them. So uh, I was especially wor- worried as it, they, the the rain started to come and continue. Um, and uh, the other, th- everything actually did just fine. And that was, what was that? That was a lot of inches of rain. Um, probably where you had the most damage, of course, was, would be from wind. If that, uh, Irene was not particularly windy in where, where I am. I'm in a little hollow, so most of the wind goes right over the top of us. But 
Um, so there's not much you can do uh, other than uh, I find that my eggplants and my peppers need to be staked uh, as they start to fruit. And I actually put, a, you know, one of those bamboo stakes, the, the real mm-hmm. thin ones, and put a couple ties on them, and that's all they seem to need. But uh, the the water and the weight on top of those uh, fruits uh, can pull a, a pepper plant down or a um, uh, 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 eggplant, pep, you know, down yep. that kind of thing, and uh, of course, all my my uh, basil is under a, a hoop house with a plastic on it. And the way I make those hoop houses, they they withstand uh, two feet of snow, so they're 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 plenty safe in there. Um, let me think. Uh, Broccoli, cabbage, all those guys seem to stand up really well in a in a good hard rain. I've never had any problems with them. Mm, my sunflowers, I know they'll get knocked over. But uh, again, this year I had a hoop house without any plastic on it, and they grew right up through that. So they have that the hoop with the, the metal holding them up mostly. And uh, so they'll, they'll survive just fine. Um and then, of course, my nasturtiums that are growing up the the sides of the trellises, uh, they might take a might take a hit, but they're pretty hardy, and I imagine they'll be okay. Uh, what else comes down um, in those? Well, the, one year the corn got blown down. Oh yeah, even before the woodchucks <laughs> got them you know, <laughs> during that windstorm year. Yeah. No, not much help there. I can't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can't stake those guys. <laughs> well, I suppose you could if you didn't have too many of them. <laughs> um, and then, uh, of course, if you've staked your your tomatoes, you want to make sure that you you're updated on your. On your ties, that they're tied to the stake uh, well enough that they don't come down. So, in preparation for a good hard rain like we we're supposed to have, uh, um, those are some of the things that I would recommend anyway. Um, let's see here now. Sorry about that. Uh, I lost track of where I was on my my list, but I think I've pretty much come to the end of the list there. Yeah, prune the dead Oh, the soil test. That was oh, the yeah. last thing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to send off again to the Logan Labs and get a soil test at the, now at the end of the year just to see, you know, how I did. <laughs> if, if all that sulfur and all the other stuff uh, changed anything and, and made a difference. And just sort of curiosity on my part. Uh, but it, could, it was very helpful to start with. Yeah, know, I, I, I would recommend that 100% just from my perspective mm-hmm. of uh, one who tends, especially this year, to have done a lot, mm-hmm. very haphazard, that, um, you know, if I uh, want to get back on track next year, you know, mm-hmm. make sure that the uh, mm-hmm. soil, is, you have a good test and good recommendations. I yeah. I recommend actually spending the extra Extra money to have the uh, the actual specific analysis that they provide. They provide extra services. Yeah, uh, there was one I was looking at, uh, on, you know, online, uh, and I I haven't looked to see if they have these at uh, Agway yet, but I'm going to take a look. And there, uh, it's a it is a actual soil test that you you know you put their dirt in and you send it away. And I'm I'm kind of curious about those. 
And then there's the, uh, uh, again, those, uh, the two pronged, you know, electrical ones that all they need is a battery and they give you the, the nutritional, uh, uh, shortages and your pH and then also a moisture test. And those are kind of neat because you just stick them in yeah. the ground. But what I'm talking about here is the, the specifics for, uh, not just your NPK, but also your, your trace minerals. In my case, uh, I was really short on the sulfur and uh, actually short on nitrogen, which surprised the heck out of me. Um, and uh, that kind of thing uh, is a big help because it does let you measure your, your trace minerals, uh, you know, copper, uh, boron, which is really very important and for all your plants. So that's the kind of soil test I'm talking about, not just the pH test that I referred to at the start. pH test is great because you can find out really quickly and you can take care of that. But the other things you need to a deeper dive, you need to really get in there and see what it is you're missing, whether it's uh, mang- manganese or magnesium or any of those things. And, um, the great thing about Logan Labs is you can get them to give you a recommendation as to what it is you need to add. And I thought that was a, a big, big help. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I was referring to. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, they said, no no more compost this year. Yeah. You're okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that that was interesting. I find that stuff really interesting. And... Uh, so we are going to go out to my garden tomorrow, sort of a family get-together around the garden. And uh, we're going to um, oh, pull some weeds and harvest some kale and some collards. And uh, I'm going to pull all the bottom leaves off the Brussels sprouts. Um, what else are we going to do? Oh, uh, onions. i got to pull onions. Yeah, we yeah, it sounds like a definite plan. We have somebody on the line, so let's oh, check in. Sure, absolutely. First name in town? Uh, John from Hyde Park. Hey, John. What's and, going uh, on? And you're just talking about what I wanted to ask about is onions. Uh, I'd like to know the proper way to harvest the onions mm-hmm. and preserve them. Uh, general rule is to pull them, uh, put them in a, a warm, shady place, and let them dry out. The tops dry out and all that other stuff. Uh, and then uh, dust off the whence they're good and dry, clip the tops, uh, dust the, the the dirt off the bottom, and um, um, then store them in a, in a cool, um, mostly dry place. You don't want humidity the way you would for apples and other things, fruits. You want to store them in a dry place. And they should store a long time. If you let the tops dry out, you can braid those tops and use them to make a, a braid that you can hang on the wall. Or, oh uh, yeah. And you know, um, you don't want it to be too hot, like an like an attic hot. Uh, but uh, sometimes in a garage, it's uh, both cool and dry. But those that would be the number one. Uh, what I do, and uh, this is. Uh, this is just my own, uh, uh, you know, uh, way that I do it is I start right out and I clip the roots and the tops off right to start with. And I will actually uh, use a hose and spray all the dirt off the roots right then and there, right as I'm doing it. 
Um, um, if if you're a gardener and you don't have too too many, that's uh, it's it's a chore, but it's a nice chore. And uh, what I find that is that um, the dirt in the roots is one of the major culprits for the the onions rotting over time. So I really, and this is the same thing I do with my garlic, is uh, I clip the tops right away. I don't let them dry out or anything, and I clip the roots, and I wash those roots real good before I'll use like a vegetable brush and get in there and, and scrub them up good. And that way that there's no dirt on them at all, and that is the most successful way that I've found to keep them from rotting over the over the course of the year. What kind of what have you been doing? Um, I did not uh, wash them off before, and uh, most years I've had good luck, but last year I didn't. Quite a few of them did rot. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's a it's really just a crapshoot. Really, um, you can you can get away with it, but I've just found that you have more certainty if you go ahead and and just take that brush and then dry them out because they're already kind of wet from sitting in the soil there's a fair amount of moisture in them you, you know you want to you want and and if you do that uh, later then you you can start have the skin start peeling off and you want the you want the skins on there nice and tight just for the best storage approximately how long do you think you leave them spread out oh um you know it might be uh four days sort of depends on the temperature uh, you know if it's raining really hard the whole week you might be a whole week before they really dry out enough um you know place like a garage or a woodshed or someplace where it's where it's there's plenty of air circulations now um i have a or well i should say i had a dryer that i made just out of hardware cloth and uh, shelves just out of you know, uh, it was a wooden one, but the trays were deep enough that I could do all my garlics, and then I could use every other tray for my um, for my onions, and that was great. The other thing that works well is you know those uh, trays you get the trays you get from the nursery, where the bottom is all open and sort of crisscrossed and stuff. Those yeah. tra- those trays work really nice for drying your onions because you can you can stack them up, uh, you know, crisscross them, and then they stack up real well and and they get good airflow in there. Um, so it t- sort of depends. Where do you usually dry your onions? It is in the garage. Yep, perfect, yeah. That that would be perfect as long as you get a, enough airflow in there. And uh, um, if if you don't think you get enough airflow, you could just set a fan on low, and so you're getting a constant uh, airflow going by them, and that dry them out nice. And nice, okay. It'd be nice and crispy by the time. What kind of onions did you plant? Oh, they're yellow onions. Oh, nice. Nice. And you had a good crop this year? Yeah, pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it seemed to be a fairly good. No no, uh, no big uh, outbreaks of diseases, but that's always good to see. Well, John, uh, anything else, or is it just the onions? Uh, just the onions for this time. I did break the tops over uh, about mm-hmm. a week ago. And- yeah, yeah, that's right. They sort of fall over on their own, even if you don't, right? <laughs> but uh, that's that's the right, and I'm glad you mentioned it because I forgot to to mention that that's the best place to start, right there. Is to some people say uh, the back of a rake, but I find I just use my hands uh, to plop them over. How many onions did you grow? Oh, let's see. I I didn't count them, but I have them uh, three rows and an eight foot long by. 
two foot wide bed. Oh yeah, great, great, and they did well there. Yeah. Now, do you, um, when they grow up to a certain point, I, I was watching a video where they say to, you know, run your finger around the outside so they, they get bigger, you know. Uh, did you do anything like that or did you just a little? Never heard of it, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I hadn't heard it either, so I feel better because <laughs> I, I haven't done that and I seem to get okay onions. And oh. All right. Well, it sounds like I know how to be successful. Thank you. I think you're you're right on the right on the right on target at this point. <laughs> There's nothing like your own uh, onions, like your own tomatoes, like your own potatoes. They're all they're all pretty special. <laughs> it's, a, it's all good. Yep. All right, John. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Yep. And let's see here. One of the things that I haven't grown yet, or I, I, I did it so many years ago, I don't even remember how, how it moved out, was the, uh, was the Jerusalem artichokes. You ever grown those, Joe? Never, never grown them. I, yeah. I, I, I kind of like them, you know. I saw them at the uh, co-op uh, yeah. the other day. I was, I wanted some small potatoes and I noticed that the Jerusalem artichokes yeah. were just the right size. Yeah, good. So I got a, a bag of the small potatoes and, uh, and and some uh, a bag of the Jerusalem artichokes and I cooked them all together just oh. to see. Uh, the Jerusalem artichokes actually seem to take a little bit longer to cook uh, than the regular old potatoes, which surprised me. I thought they would be a little softer, uh, but uh, I cleaned them up good and and all the rest. They tend to be so little warty, you know, <laughs> a little misshapen. But I cleaned them up good. I didn't peel them because uh, I don't peel my. Uh, the uh, new potatoes either, but um, they cleaned up nicely and cooked up great. I, I'm going to actually look into that and try that. I, I wonder if anybody's growing uh, Jerusalem artichokes out there. If you have, give us a call. we got plenty of time, and it's probably time for a break, isn't it? Yeah, John? we could take our second break right now. We've got at least uh, 15 more minutes right. to the program, well, so love to hear your gardening comments and questions, but uh, we do want to acknowledge, of course, the fine sponsors that make this program possible. A reminder that you can listen to In the Garden anytime at your convenience. What you do is go to WDEVradio.com to access the In the Garden podcast, sponsored by Dandelion Acres in Bethel, where you can find an extensive selection of vegetables, fruit trees, and berry bushes. Check their website, dandelionacres.com for current operating hours, COVID caveats, and their great specials. We're at 116, and uh, Peter, we have a uh, news update. There are Jerusalem artichokes in Starksboro. We'll check in with Rich all about that. Rich. <laughs> hey, Rich. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm good. So you got That's the chokes, good. sun chokes? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I've had them for quite a few years, and uh, uh, one of the things that I do is I grow them in tubs. I grow them in like a, a big black plastic oh. tub. Oh, yeah. It's okay. like maybe 40 gallons. Sure. And I got perfect soil in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and what I do is I do like what I go to the co-op, and I buy the, the our co-op in Middlebury. They come from Canada. Sure. And... And with the COVID, we haven't been getting them any. We only had bought one batch uh, this year. 
Yeah. But uh, um, you cut them up, and you want two eyes left in each little piece. Okay. That you, you cut them up into pieces, and each piece should have two eyes. It probably work with one eye per piece, but you put them down in the soil, and they grow. And the reason we put them in tubs is because they spread like crazy, and mm. you can't. You know, you can't get rid of them, so yep. uh, they're, they're not can... in my raised beds. They're in the tubs. Good, good and, plan. Uh, I, drew, I drill a hole in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And actually, this year, we harvested them last year in the fall. you got to wait. You, you don't want to wait till the, the tub's frozen. That gets kind of hard. I brought it in the basement <laughs> one time to thaw it out. That's <laughs> kind of a heavy tub. But you want to catch it before it's going to freeze solid. All right. And, and you, they're going to be way down the bottom of the tub. The tubers, huh. so you got to go way. They go way down, yeah. And so you got to get them all out of there. You can't get them all out because we have about seven or eight plants that came right back this spring, and I never had to plant anymore. <laughs> and they're all growing well. They're very hardy plants. Right in the and same tub. Right in the same tub. Yeah, they've... same tub. Sure. Wow. It's almost like it's a perennial. They reseed themselves. Unless you, you know, and uh, we don't even we don't cook them. Uh-huh. You don't even peel them because they're a real pain in the neck to peel. Yeah, yeah. And so we just uh, slice them up and put them in salads and eat them right no, in salads. And no kidding. Really good. Oh, yeah. that's that's pretty cool. I scrub never them. even thought about eating them raw because you never do potatoes. Yeah, you scrub them good. Yeah, they taste good. They taste oh like a uh, daikon radish that doesn't have any bite in it. Mhm, mhm, mhm. What's that in the 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 chestnut that they they uh, you use in the Chinese water chestnuts? Water chestnuts yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, huh. kind of. Mm-hmm. So when yeah, you cut yeah. them up, you don't peel them in the for the salad. You just wash them and cut them up and put them in the salad. Yeah, scrub them up good because they get a lot of dirt in the nooks and crannies. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. There's so many nooks and crannies. It's hard to peel them without you yeah. know, losing a lot. So mm-hmm. we just. And you get more fiber for eating skins, you know, the better nutrition, I think. Sure, yeah. And sort of things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we like them in salads, and we're no. looking forward to our harvest. We get we get enough harvest for, we get like two pounds, you know. Oh, yeah, okay. Out of, out of one of those tubs. Inch, 20, yeah. 24 inches across, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, I've got a couple more tubs, but uh, they, they uh, I haven't. You know, in plenty of this year. Yeah, they're di- these are different than the local native ones. The native ones are really long and and kind of skinny. They look like you know stunted or sweet potatoes that didn't really mm. grow well. You know, mm. they're mm. really long. I, I had no idea there was a native variety of the Jerusalem artichoke. Oh yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. Well, Joel says there's there's Jerusalem artichokes and Starkspo, um <laughs> right along uh, Route 116 by our ball field. They they grow there wild, and you go along there. No I, kidding. I haven't dug any. <laughs> yeah, you, you look at these yellow flowers about seven or eight feet above the ground. Sure. And those are your Jerusalem artichoke plants. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Well, yeah. I just noticed uh, yeah. some um, some asparagus, uh, wild asparagus on the roadside uh, this morning as I was driving to Waterbury. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, yeah. those plants tend to spread. And that's uh, that's like you say, that's a good reason not to plant them in your in your garden. Is so you want to make sure you you sequester them a bit so that they're not don't right. become a, a weed instead of a crop. <laughs> yeah, we've never had any spreading from the flowering at all. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just uh, I think they spread from the root. How early in the know. season do you plant them? Um, like a potato, like 
Yeah, plant them in April, May. Oh, okay. Yeah, not necessarily I mean, after I, frost. Uh, well, no, they're pretty hardy plants. Actually, there was one that I kind of had to replant, and I thought, well, it was going to die. There was just like a little speck of green on it. Mm-hmm. He, he grew right back and started leaving up. Oh. Pretty hardy things, you know. <laughs> Well, it's but, remarkable uh, how many different names they have for the Jerusalem artichoke. Like I said, the sunchokes and the wild sunflower and the earth apple. <laughs> That's one I had never yeah. heard of. And then this number. Uh, there's one I can't even pronounce. Mm-hmm. Huh. Anyway, um, that's great. And We, uh, we enjoy them and... And uh, it's, it's kind of nice. You don't even have to replant. And <laughs> come back up. Just, just my kind yeah. of, just my kind of plant. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, thanks always for your great show. And oh, yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Rich. We, we just appreciate. It. Yeah, great. Yeah, good talk to you, Peter. And yeah. Take care, Joel. <laughs> bye bye. See there, I, I just uh, put out one word, and next thing you know, uh, I get somebody uh, calling to let me know. And now we got a call from Peter in Stowe. Hey, Peter. Hey, how's it going? Good. I have a question on uh, spaghetti, spaghetti squash. Yeah. We, uh, I just threw, I threw the seeds and uh, and the rinds in a compost pile, and now I have a, a fairly healthy vine and five or six fruit. Volunteers. And I was just wondering, huh? Volunteers. I was just wondering. Yep. I was just wondering when I harvested. They're a little pale green right now, and mm-hmm. I know in store they get a nice yellow. Yeah. Do I wait until they're all yellow, or do yeah. I harvest them now and leave them in the sun? You might just as well uh, let them grow for a little while, at least uh, two or three weeks. I think you can get Obviously, you want to pick them before, um, before the frost. They're better if you don't okay. let the frost hit the, the fruits, but they can withstand them. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, frost. If you plan to store these over the winter for as long as you can, um, my wife swears by taking a real dilute uh, um, dilute uh, chlorine, you know, uh, bath and scrubbing them up good before because uh, they they tend to to rot a little bit on the skin. So if you can avoid that, because they they usually come so in that a certain amount, it helps uh, you harden them off. Uh, but that. Harden them off. Yeah, we just put them upstairs in a room for uh, a week, and then uh, she gives them that chlorine bath, and we put them. You know, we just store them, store them in the bin. So I should should I put any anything underneath them so that the uh, there's you know, no bugs and animals don't start eating them. Absolutely no harm in just putting a little straw, a handful of straw underneath, or a piece of cardboard, okay. or even a wooden board if you wanted to. Anything underneath is always a good idea because. Uh, the all the bugs, the snails, and are the worst. Yeah, um, they'll they'll like to go after them. Uh, so yeah, and, and one of them look one of them looks like it has like claw marks on it from either uh, <laughs> a skunk or bear mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, a bear would be pretty wide. I mean, it would be like your finger size, right? So yeah, they're pretty wide. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. I, I've never heard. So of I them. should wait until they get to be yellow. Yeah. 
Yeah, just give them, a, uh, give them another chan- a chance to harden up just a little bit or keep continue okay. to grow for a little while. Yeah, I would. There's no hurry to at this point to to go ahead and harvest them. I'd I'd let them grow a little longer. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right, Peter. Good to good to hear you. Thanks for calling. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so uh, the Jerusalem artichoke is something I'm going to try next year. And if anybody else uh, is growing them and gets a chance to call in, uh, uh, if uh, not this week, next week, let me know what you do, how you har- harvest them. I thought that was really interesting, what Rich said, didn't you? That would uh, I might put those in one of my um, one of my earth boxes. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense because I've seen them grow all over the place. Looks like they're <laughs> looks like they're a second variety of sunflowers growing in all kinds of funny places. One of my hesitations in growing them was what realizing that I was going to be growing a weed. So I sort of thinking of different strategies to to you know put a box maybe with some really deep boards or something. But uh, I like uh, Rich said, just go ahead and uh, use some of those bags or. I'll use one of my uh, earth boxes there. The... I think I remember my my grandparents slicing them thin and mm. steaming them, and then mm. salt and pepper. I think mm. That's the Eastern well, European way, maybe. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, I I thought that was uh, interesting that so many things that you that you read about in the garden come from um, uh, from the Mediterranean yeah. or from Asia or from China or from you know heaven well, knows I, I say, where. I remember them doing it. I, I was one of the things I didn't want to touch at the time when <laughs> yeah, I was a kid. Right. So I was a little kid. Oh come on, yeah. put a little salt, pepper, and butter on anything. You'd no. eat that, right? Oh, I, well, I know. Yeah, but, but it's just funny. I love, but you put butter on it, and yeah. I like it. And my my what are the lines was from my parents and my grandparents? They would come up with some kind of concoction, and mm-hmm. I want to put butter on it. <laughs> and they would say, it's in there already. And I said, I want to put more in More there. butter, yeah. I want to put some on there. You sound well like my grandsons, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, my son and his wife do a lot of Indian dishes, mm-hmm. and uh, they make this uh, ghee, you know, mm-hmm. G-H-E-E, ghee. And it's a clarified butter. And I don't know if you've ever seen it or used it, but it's, it's, uh, it's the norm in India. And matter of fact, last night, uh, Nikki made, uh, rice and, uh, rice and dal. And she brought out the ghee and she said, here, you need a tab of this on top. And boy, was that good. Oh my gosh. Well, I think I've become a Vermonter. I like a, I like a nice pad of, of, of cabbage. <laughs> cabbage. Unsalted on anything. And then I add my own salt half the time. So. <laughs> yeah. I know. Like I said, a little butter and salt right. on anything, right? right. <laughs> oh, it's like I said, you could take mushrooms and, and and garlic and put them just about fry anything in that, and you know, it'll taste good. Yeah, you know, we're talking about when you're talking about the fist size size garlic. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, pretty much. You know, when I did have a you know a prolific mm-hmm. garden and all kinds of things, mm-hmm. there's some nights I had no idea what we're going to do. But then you just saute a whole bunch of garlic, <laughs> and that's the start. And then 
whatever <laughs> whatever happens to be lying around goes in there, you know, out of the refrigerator or out of yeah, the garden. Absolutely. It always starts with a whole, with a you know, yes. a big pan of sautéed garlic. Yeah, so you're saying start. fry it and they will come. That's right. They come right <laughs> walking right out of the cornfield like in the movie. <laughs> Smell that garlic, oh man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that certainly was the old way in the old neighborhood in the Bronx when I was mm-hmm. in the Italian neighborhood. I was, oh my gosh, yeah, you're just walking down, you know, oh. Belmont Avenue, and it just wafted in the yeah. air. Yeah. And you know, even even with such little, you know, space for gardening, mm-hmm. uh, the Italian folks had the mm-hmm. uh, had the uh, plum tomatoes growing literally in the front stoop, it, it, and then yep. it, you know, about six feet of property behind, they would they would yep. grow. And still make tons and tons of not sauce. It was always the gravy. The gravy, (laughs) amazing. But the garlic was there too. Yeah, uh, Yeah. brings back memories. And whenever I sauté my own garlic, I I just I'm back in the Bronx in the fifties. Yeah, yeah. Well, my my grandfather had a concrete plant out, and it was just across the line uh, from Ohio into in Bessemer, or not Bessemer, but. Hillsville, and it was right across the the Pennsylvania, uh, right across the Ohio line into Pennsylvania, and it was literally on a on a side hill. You you had to, you know, wind your way up to the plant. It was sort of on the top of the hill, and there was a, a community of uh, Italian folks who worked both worked there and lived just up the hill. And if you ever went up the hill and saw you know, what they grew, I mean. Cherry trees and apple trees and, and just every kind of, like you say, every kind of vegetable you could imagine and just beautiful red, uh, Roma tomatoes mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And it was, uh, it was quite a, quite a sight. Uh, I, I didn't, I never managed to be there around supper time, so I never got the, uh, <laughs> even, even to this day, I mean, before the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, when I'd go into New York, I would park in front of an old friend's house <laughs> and then take the train, the final, you know, leg down there. And the thing was, is that they, there were so, he had so many people, uh, you know, that uh, he he was an Italian immigrant himself. Usually most mm-hmm. of my friends were, you know, second mm-hmm. generation, third generation. Yeah. But, um, and uh, they, they were always cooking something. And if they noticed my car with the Vermont plates, they'd say, would you like to come in? And I, I felt very guilty because that's the whole reason I parked in that front was of their the house whole point, in right? the first place. You know, <laughs> yes, I would. Notice me and uh, I'm glad you finally and, noticed. Yeah, huh? yeah. <laughs> well, you remind me of that cartoon character, you know, that, that just floats on, wafts on the, floats on the, the fragrance of yep. fresh cooked something, you know. <laughs> Bullseye. <laughs> Bullseye, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't show that on the radio, but we sure can describe it as you're just, uh, you know, it's sort of like in the summer when you, when uh, the whole neighborhood starts uh, barbecuing on the, on the grill, right? <laughs> you don't know which way to turn. <laughs> yeah, I, I might just add that if all these wonderful things are not growing in your own garden or the farmer's <laughs> markets this year, a lot of oh. people are trying to, you know, come back from a bad year and, oh, and now we got, we got another cloud over our head with the, mm-hmm. you know, with the variant and yep. everything, but yep. it's uh, been a 
good growing season and some of the farmers market people trying to get back on their feet and I can't think of a better way to uh, yeah. uh, enhance your own life and and support the local gardening community than to hit the local farmers markets. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree with you more on that one. And we're blessed. I mean, yeah. oh, you yes. you think that uh, these kind of farmer markets are are, f- are everywhere but we're blessed with a plethora, with a just a great number, and of course it's it's uh, something that's uh, kind of uh, even down where my kids are, down in uh, uh, in the, right outside of New York City. They have a farmers market now, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's very neat that uh, that's become the thing, and. Uh, in a lot of places, I, I think I, I may have mentioned it before, but uh, in my business, uh, the granite business, we import from, from China. And we had a, a fellow over there who I consider a friend, um, and his, uh, his Americanized name was Winwood. <laughs> like Stevie Winwood, <laughs> which I always got a chuckle out of that. But what what a what a wonderful person! And uh, he sent me this article about how some Chinese students had come uh, to one of the f- colleges here, and I wasn't I'm not sure, but I think it was uh, uh, UMass right down in uh, uh, Northampton Amherst mm-hmm. area. And they had come down there, and they they learned about the CSAs. Oh, <laughs> and and they were going to take that back to China, mm-hmm. and they had started uh, CSAs in China, as a way to support uh, you know farmers uh, throughout the season. Excellent. I thought that was an yeah. interesting thing because uh, uh, all, all the CSA concept is almost. Uh, would you say uh, uh, common in in at least the o- older generation right, of right. Chinese, you know, <laughs> people who would uh, go to the farm and the, the market, uh, and uh, it was interesting because uh, my daughter-in-law Nikki was mentioning that you don't have so much a supermarket in India as you have these markets where you go and you you buy the the things you you need at the at the market. And and that seems to be a lot like what we're getting with the farmers markets is in you know these fresh foods. And and one further observation, and uh, we repeat, I've repeated this many times, is uh, uh, eat organic food or what your grandparents called food. <laughs> food. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's like the postcard that I love where, where the, uh, where the, the two girls are standing there with, uh, with vegetables in their arms, a couple of uh, cauliflowers and a cabbage and, uh, some corn. And they said, uh, the, the supermarket, the way we used to know it, there you, go. <laughs> you know, the old time supermarket. <laughs> And, uh, and really, uh, we're, we're fortunate that, that we, um, that we can see that in action right here in Vermont and, and certainly around the Northeast. Uh, uh, all of the, the NOFA and the, the Maine and New Hampshire and even Connecticut, Massachusetts, uh, farmers organizations r- really do a tremendous job for us to promote local and organic both. Um, just the methods that they're using. Um, are, uh, are, are just so clever, you know, and, and they are in, in fact doing their job to sequester the carbon that's in the air and, and, uh, uh, you know, helping the planet at the same time and then growing great food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, yes, that's what we need to do. I think we're uh, – do you have final words? Or, like, we, we... Um, nothing in particular that I can think of at this moment other than to keep planting and keep harvesting. And if you have questions, uh, give me a call. And if you, you've got bragging rights here, if you want to call and just brag about something you've harvested and you're pretty pleased with, uh, give us a call and let us know what it is. All right, folks. And we'll be back again next week at 1230 in the garden on WDEV. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. In the Garden with Peter Burke is brought to you by Menard's family-owned True Value Store, Brooklyn Street, Morrisville. By V's Flower and Garden Shop, Main Street in Waitsfield. By Clausen's Florist, Greenhouse and Perennial Farm, locally grown just for you on Main Street in Colchester. By your locally owned Montpelier Agway Farm and Garden on East Montpelier Road. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber in Middlesex, St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, and Derby. Sticksandstuff.com. By Guy's Farm and Yard Stores in Morrisville, Montpelier, Williston, and St. Albans. By P&R Lumber, a family-owned lumber mill with lumber, mulch, compost, everything you need for building and for gardens. Route 15 in Woolkit. By the Willie Store in Greensboro, celebrating over 120 years of family ownership. By the great folks at Dandelion Acres and Garden Center. What a nice place, right there on Route 107 in Bethel. By Poly Construction, a contractor you can trust, where one call does it all, on Gregory Drive in South Burlington. In the Garden, join us again next Saturday at 1230 here on WDEV.